down to earth on News Talk with Amundi, an asset manager investing in tomorrow, today, to shape a better world for all. Each week here on Down to Earth, we dig into someone's green life, finding out how they integrate environmental issues into their everyday lives. Today, entrepreneur Norman Crowley joins us on Down to Earth. Welcome, Norman. Hey, good to be here. Thanks. Norman, I hope you're not offended by this, but I've sometimes referred to you as the Elon Musk of Ireland, without the drama, of course, because you're a serial entrepreneur having started and sold three businesses by the age of 40, and several of your businesses are focused on climate solutions. So what was your aha moment when you decided to go into environmental entrepreneurship? Um, I guess during the 2000s, when we were we were building another business, but we watched an inconvenient truth, and I don't know what it was that triggered it for us um, in that, but we became kind of obsessed with it, and we used to meet quite a lot of scientists and discuss it, um, and then when we sold that business in 2008, it was a kind of no-brainer to get into climate change, I guess. Uh, I heard you were also inspired by a UK investor named George Pogue, who now runs the Global Warming Mitigation Project. Can you tell me more about George and his influence on you? Yeah, George um, George and I set up a business together called The Cloud, and we used to meet um, in coffee shops and talk about starting it. And then uh, when he when we worked together, he would have all these scientists over to his house. And at the time, global warming wasn't really on anybody's radar, but uh, he would invite us for dinner. Um, and, you know, we just learned more and more about it. Um, but we we took a different view to what a lot of people took. So a lot of people took the view, the only way to solve this problem is to live minimally um and live the simple life and the problem with the human race is you know we didn't get to this point by living simply and living minimally right generation after generation have wanted to improve and hand on better to their children and so we're not really designed to sit in the dark with the thermostats turned down you know and what we felt at the time was that there was just so much new technology solar electric vehicle meatless meats um, that offered that we could live not minimally, but we could live as maximally as we always wanted, um, but, but with these new technologies. And that kicked off uh, um, a kind of slightly contrarian view in the climate change movement. That's a much more progressive view and a view that we believe will win out in the end because it plays to the more baser human instincts that we have. You've been somewhat critical of campaign tactics like those of Extinction Rebellion in the past, calling it more of the same, let's just say, excrement than that hasn't worked. So what, <laughs> what exactly do you mean by this? And, and where do you think advocacy groups like Extinction Rebellion should be focusing their efforts? Um, well, well, first thing to say is that we, we believe Greta Thunberg is amazing and we have quotes from her on, in our office and stuff and we, we're a huge admirer, but... We believe that it's not very solution focused. It's their approach is to pressure government, um, but government have shown themselves across the world to be quite resilient about not working towards climate change. And there's slow progress on that at the moment, but not enough. Um, whereas our view is look at the numbers. And when we talk to a lot of environmental evangelists, they can't even, they can't quote you numbers, right? Whereas 
we look at the numbers and we look at like global warming isn't about social justice, right? Like don't don't take that as me being against social justice. I'm very pro social justice, but one is a scientific problem. And a lot of people conflate that scientific problem with either a socialist view um, or, or lots of other views. And we can't afford to do that. Like this is a science problem, right? There's too much CO2 going into the atmosphere. Um, and the only way to fix that is to understand the science and to chip away at it, which is what we do. Um, but conflating it with other issues is, is really, we think dangerous, right? Because it's distracting. Um, here's what here's a problem fix a problem here's what I think is dangerous though Norman from where I sit I see heavily resourced vested interests lobbying politicians and governments constantly to maintain business as usual and prevent implementation of the things we need to address climate change so are you really suggesting that we don't need to expend any effort trying to change the political system or politicians and that we can just sit back and let industry and companies solve this problem um, well, the way you put it, no, but um, <laughs> the way I put it. Um, so we, first of all, lobbying politicians, like all the groups have been doing, has been a complete waste of time so far. Um, very little has been won in over 40 years, right? Um, and whereas if you look at something like Tesla, and I know Tesla has its detractors, but if you break it down into CO2 out of the atmosphere, this is a company that has achieved more than anybody else, right? And so, yes, and it's not, there are a couple of things happening. Oil companies, and I'm no fan of oil companies, are moving very quickly now away from oil towards renewable energy. Companies like BP have made massive commitments on renewable investment. And we can all say it's not enough, right? And nothing is ever enough um, in, when it comes to climate change because we're so far behind. But at the same time, you look at their movement and how fast they're moving. And a couple of them have also left all these kind of nasty lobby groups that they've all been members of for years. <clears throat> and so that's, uh, that's another big change that's happened. But I'm no fan of these companies. But is it better to throw stones at these guys or is it better like our businesses do to go in and get them to reduce their energy um, usage and their CO2 output? Like we have one client in the US that we've reduced their, um, their energy consumption by $100 million annually, right? And is it not better to, to do that type of approach where working with these people now some of them we would absolutely refuse not to work with but many of them we would work with to get them to turn and is that not a better way of doing this than trying to use guilt and shame and politicians who've never done anything in this regard to do it and so we feel this is a more productive thing the other side of that is like we're working with schools at the moment and rather than saying to schools hey, you know, um, you should just feel guilty as children, right? And ch children at the moment feel this massive guilt over climate change, even though they didn't do it, they didn't cause it at all. And our message to them is very different. It's like, look how exciting solar energy is. Look how it works. Look how amazing it is and transformational it is. 
look at this electric car, look how cool it is, right? And wouldn't you want one of these? So that that generation can feel optimism rather than anger and shame and guilt. Yeah, you've definitely worked hard to make climate change a cool experience. You built the first visitor center in the world dedicated to climate change in 2018, the Cool Planet Experience in Powers Court, County Wicklow, which is a place I've spent a lot of time. What motivated you to undertake a project like that, which would probably never deliver the kind of profits you've been accustomed to in, in your other businesses? Yeah, and look, profit follows purpose in our world, right? Purpose first, and then profit comes from that. If it comes the other way around, we don't like that, and it's not how we operate. Um, So why we did it was back to this thing about we looked at our children, and we looked at the weight of guilt that we were putting on them, and um, and what the effect that was having on them and the paralysis that that it was generating. And we just said, no, this is not acceptable. There are so many exciting things. And also from their point of view for their careers, rather than joining another, yet another investment bank, isn't it much better for Irish kids and kids internationally to want to become engineers and environmental lawyers um, and and things like that, you know, and so it was to inspire that. And like in, in 2019, we had 50,000 people going through um, Cool Planet experience in only its second year. So that message of optimism clearly hit a chord with people. Your latest project, Electrify, is both retrofitting classic cars to run on electricity and developing your own high-end electric vehicle with a factory based in Ireland. Now, Ireland isn't known as a great car manufacturing country, though there has been three cars produced on the island, most notably the DeLorean made famous in Back to the Future. How do you envision your car business defying the odds and surviving in a country with such high manufacturing costs? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so step one is to manufacture something very expensive. So that's following the kind of Tesla playbook, which is that when you're learning the ropes and getting people to uh, up to speed, um, you know, people who work in the factory and getting them used to the automotive sector, then you need something that's very expensive. Um, and so the first one we're launching uh, under the Ava brand is going to be like 1.2 to 2 million. Um, and so it's designed really for the high-end client. Um, and But also it has the lowest carbon footprint of any EV that's ever been built. And so out of that, if you think about the wider mission though, <clears throat> there's 1.4 billion vehicles in the world. And every year we add another 60 million vehicles to that. Um, So if we're going to wait around for all of those to be new electric vehicles, it's going to be far too long and we're not going to impact climate enough. And so the the subplot of Electrify is to electrify existing vehicles as well, not just classic cars. So we're doing classic cars in the beginning and it's very good to, to capture the imagination and pay the bills, but longer term, um, we're going to retrofit um, much more traditional vehicles. And in fact, we're in negotiations at the moment with a very large manufacturer to retrofit up to 200 vehicles a day to electric. Yeah. So, so this it starts off as quite a glamorous project to capture the imagination, but it ends with a serious climate impact. 
So someone could bring their old Ford Focus in and you could convert it to an electric yeah. Ford Focus. And, and Ultimately, yeah. We need, in order to make that economical, um, first of all, we need to up our skills. So we couldn't do that now. The Ford Focus would end up costing about 60,000 euros. But um, so it would be a really expensive one. But over time, as battery costs drop and they continue to drop very quickly, and as our skill set increases, we can do that. And there are, there's a company in Paris, for instance, that can take a Fiat 500 and make it electric for a reasonable amount of money. Um, although the range is very short. Um, so there are, this is happening and it's happening in India. Like tuk-tuks have gone electric now in India. Um, so it's happening all over the place and we're leading that. But what's fascinating about some of the projects that are in negotiation at the moment is they're actually with tier one automotive companies, right? So tier one automotive, the biggest companies in the world are talking to us about projects. So it's an amazing Irish story. Do you think we have the skill set to be able to take on this kind of work here? Yeah, definitely. Because the fantastic thing about an electric vehicle, like if you go to Germany and you you go to the Daimler factory and you realize that they have a hundred years of experience in the internal combustion engine, right? But the the electric vehicle is much more analogous to software and applications than it is to an internal combustion engine. And so we in Ireland have huge expertise in that area. And the other thing that we found is because of Brexit, the UK car industry is under massive pressure. And um, what we're getting is a lot of Irish people who are top of their game in the UK automotive industry coming home. Like if you take Mike Keane, our director of engineering, and he was director of engineering with um, Williams Advanced Engineering in the UK and built some of the most prestigious electric vehicles in the last seven or eight years. Or Philip Roach, our head of operations, used to work in McLaren, you know, and so these are serious operators coming back to Ireland. You're known for selling your businesses about 10 years uh, after you start them, but you haven't done that with things like Crowley Carbon, despite receiving generous offers. What would you like your legacy to be, Norman? Yeah, you know, we don't really think about it as legacy. I guess the word legacy to me makes me think about kind of prideful or boastful, um, but maybe that's just my interpretation of it. But it's, you know, for us, it's about getting climate change the results, you know. Um, job number one, suck CO2 out of the atmosphere to protect our children, you know. And, uh, and everything leads towards that now, you know. Uh, Bill Gates uh, had some similar views to you when he ran Microsoft about the importance of, of technology in solving this. And now he's asking for governments to get more involved and also arguing for technologies like nuclear power and, and carbon capture, as you mentioned there, sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere. What do you think about the need to invest in those kind of more hotly debated technologies? Um, on paper, um we on paper and in reality, SWV, solar, wind and battery um, solves the problem. And we'd prefer to do that. So I wouldn't agree with nuclear. I respect Bill Gates quite a lot. And so maybe he knows more than I do on it. But, you know, anyone who watched Chernobyl and, and more recently, like I'm quite close to what's going on in Fukushima. Right. And when these things when these things blow they're a nightmare for 30, 40, 50 years. And, and we don't seem to be able to control them. And so 
there is a fascinating thing happening in the US at the moment with some cutting edge technology around micronuclear, where you have these tiny nuclear plants, uh, like really tiny. And, and that to me would seem to make sense because at least if they go, they're gonna go small. Um, whereas, and the other reality of nuclear is we have two projects in Europe at the moment that are years behind and billions over budget. And so never mind any philosophical debate about nuclear. We, so, we don't seem to be able to build the things anyway. So what's the point in talking about it? Well, I'm really excited to see how Electrify develops over the coming years. My thanks to Norman Crowley for letting us into his green life. Thanks, Car. And that's it for this episode of Down to Earth. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my producer, Alex Rousseau, for this episode of Down to Earth. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the series on podcast at Newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app. Next week, as the ancient mariner once said, there's water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. We'll be exploring water quality at home and abroad. But until then, stay curious.